Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you would get your Bibles open up to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start with the first verse. I'm not going to get through the whole chapter. I'm not even going to try to. You may be, you may a, a, a sigh of relief. <sighs> He's not going to keep us here till 1230. <laughs> you think. <laughs> Unity of the Spirit. I've preached this message I don't know how many times. And there's, there's a couple of things in this as I prepared at this time. Jumped out at me. was a little bit different. Now, Unity of the Spirit is something that's necessary for a church <clears throat> to function at the top of its game. Um, now, what I mean by is the church to function at the top of the game, unity of the spirit means it is important in order for a church to function the way that it's supposed to for the people who are a part of the church to know that church is something more than just going to a place and sitting in a pew for an hour, two hours. It's more than that. Unity of the spirit is when all of us know the job that Jesus has given us to do as a church then all of us should be individuals who are willing to take whatever it is that God has given us to be able to pull it. By pull it, I mean we've got people in here who have the gift of teaching, people in here who have got the gift of preaching, people in here who have got the gift of giving, people in here who have got the gift of encouragement. There's people who just got gifts all over the place, amen? Now, those individuals typically will have those gifts and they will operate within the guidelines of those gifts without even knowing they have one. In other words, it was just something that they always thought just came easy for them. But what it was was the gift that God gave them. But if an individual finds out that God gave them the gift that they have and that that gift was actually intended to be incorporated in the gifts of all of the other people in the worship facility that God's called you to, then those things all work together for one intentional purpose, to seek and save the lost. Discipleship is a huge part of that too. It's not just a matter of getting people uh, to where they see the need for Jesus, but it's also raising people up so that they actually are aware. Now, what churches have done for years, I was one of those who was, I was a consequence of one of those, and I'm, I've talked to Doug, said he was too, and some other people who said they were too. When I was younger, accepted Christ, 16 years old, taken to the baptistry, dunked, number added to the board, you were cut loose to, to figure it out yourself. And this is completely contrary to the purpose. A church that does not disciple will never find unity of the Spirit. It's impossible for it to find. Because the only way the Spirit unifies is if the Spirit leads. That's it. The Spirit has to lead. If the Spirit's leading me and it's not leading somewhere else, guess or someone else, me and him can sit across the table from each other. How much are we going to agree on? But when we have one fundamental foundation that we have all put all of the eggs in that basket and said the word of God is without error, and the word of God is applicable to all areas of human life, physical and spiritual. That there is no other writing on the planet that has the ability to accomplish what the word of God accomplishes. And we're all in agreement with that, right? But just how responsible is someone in carrying out that responsibility if they don't read it? If they don't have someone, did you, the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, you remember Philip was sent to talk to, to an Ethiopian eunuch, the dude's in the back of a chariot, this is um, 
Acts chapter 8, might be 9, I'm not sure. I know 9's where, te- where Paul's testimony is at. But this dude pulls up in the chariot, and Philip was sent to him. And Philip walks up to the guy, and he goes, hey, says that the guy was reading the book of Isaiah, and he goes, hey, you know what you're reading? And the guy goes, well, how am I supposed to know what I'm reading unless somebody is willing to tell me? And this is life. This was 2,000 years ago. It hasn't changed. It's the same now. How does a new Christian know unless someone tells them? Because is it possible for you to know what you don't know? It's not possible. This is why every believer, every person who trusts in Jesus, this is why they're called babes in Christ. This is why the Bible speaks of giving them milk to drink and not solid food because they're not ready for it in other words the building blocks have to be in place in order for an individual to to be able to even see or catch the vision of god's uh purpose in his plan so education has to happen this is only we can be unified i mean honestly if i say if i say hey god's opposed to abortion just in the spirit of our last great supreme court decision could you tell me why you think abortion's wrong? And you can't just say because killing babies is wrong. Give me some fundamental, doctrinal, biblical reasons that you don't agree with abortion. Yeah, but how long have you been a Christian? Did you know that on day one? Week one? Education and your desire to know puts that in your mind so that now if I've done the same thing and we both say that that the Bible is the source of that truth and we've both been educated in that Bible now what are the chances that me and you are going to agree on a position it's absolute if I say what God thinks is more important than what I think and if Doug says what God thinks is more important than what I think then God told me and Doug the same thing he doesn't tell us different things now, I might have a gift. Uh, I have the gift of pastoring. We'll just say, I know he has it too, but we'll just say for the sake of the argument, he has the, he has the gift of, of um, teaching. He's good at it. So how does this work? Well, the gift that God gave me, I'm going to employ. The gift that God gave him, he's going to employ. But they're both different gifts accomplishing different purposes, but both attached to the same purpose giver. So why do you pastor? To seek and save the lost. And once we, once we come across someone who trusts in, trusts in Jesus, we accept the responsibility to disciple them. Right? All of us have been called to go out and tell people about Jesus. But all of us are not evangelists. We have not been given the gift of evangelism. Yes, it's easier for somebody with the gift of evangelism because they're creative and they'll walk right up in the middle of a group of people because God gave them the gift to and they'll just start telling people about Jesus. It's just the way that it is. But if I don't have that gift, just this is only three steps and believe me, you can take this as far as you want to. Okay? It takes an evangelist to get them. Right? The evangelist is going to get them. In other words, they're going to go out there and take the gospel. We're going to wait on God for the result. Amen? Now, that guy's gift is completely different than mine and anybody else's in this church. But as long as that guy 
has the drive to do what it is that God's told him to do, where's that person going to end up that he just shared Jesus with? In the church. Now, when they come in the church, same Jesus, and we're going to get into this in just a second, same Jesus working through different people accomplishing the same purpose. This is what unity of the Spirit is. This is the Spirit gives this guy the ability to tell somebody about Jesus. It gives somebody the ability to teach them about Jesus, and it gives somebody the ability to show them Jesus. Pastors are supposed to be showing people Jesus. Teachers tell people about Jesus. Evangelists evangelize people. They actually tell people about the gospel. You take all of those things, be three completely different people, and, and this is where it gets cool. You ready? Unity of the Spirit isn't isolated inside the church. Every neighbor church that we have is doing the exact same thing. So wait a minute. You mean my unity of the Spirit actually works with the unity of the Spirit of the people at First Baptist Church of Hillsboro? Yes, it does. And when it functions well, we have an association that flourishes. We have people who are being saved. We're baptizing people. We're discipling people. We're coming up with new and better ways to do it. But the second that a church loses its focus... What happens to the association? If, if the Spirit is not communicating to everybody and not being led by everybody, you take one person who's outside of that unity and they can fracture the whole thing. The whole thing. So it's important, and Paul kind of touches on this when I start reading here in a minute, you're going to see it. It's important for us to realize that God gave us gifts. But those gifts were gifts that were given by God. They're not gifts that we acquired along the way. They're not gifts we practiced, and therefore it is beneficial for us to do. We never lose focus of the fact that this party was put together by Jesus. He gets to determine what the party favors are. He gets to determine the door prizes. He gets to determine everything about this. And the problem does not come from us as individuals being submissive to him. The problem comes when we expect him to be submissive to us. You've met those people, right? The ones who do not serve God, but God serves them. The ones who approach God in prayer in such a way as to just ask him to heal people. Not thinking about the potential consequences of that. What if through one person's pain and suffering, a hundred people come to know Jesus? If that person who's suffering knew that they could be cured, but a hundred people would go to hell as a result, what do you think that person would choose? Give me death. Let's get a hundred people to the kingdom. Right? coincidence that that's the exact same model that Jesus used for us the exact same model because unity of the spirit means God will tell us all to do things the same way because they all come from the same fundamental foundation that God's the one that gave us L listen if you're in here and you're a husband God will not tell you to love your wife different than he tells another man to love his wife he doesn't do that that creates confusion 
So when we have people who are running around in the world who are screaming, I tie my bow tie five or six times and then wait on somebody else in the crowd to translate that for them, there's a conflict. Because now as somebody from all of my studying, gifts are still very much alive. Tongues, I believe, still happen. But we have people come in here. I almost broke out in tongues today. Why? Because I got excited. Well, it's not the purpose. Everybody in this church speaks English. Anybody in here besides me speak English? Why would I, why would I speak in a tongue? Is it edifying to you, those of you who are sitting here today, is it edifying to you? Is it building you up and encouraging you? If I stand up here and just tell you that you can say a few words and miraculously, poof, look at you. Tongues are important. And when God uses them, he uses them with purpose. The types of tongues we see going on in the United States today, you will not find in the Bible. It's not there. It is not there. There's the miracle of tongues. Day of Pentecost. The Bible records specifically that the apostles spoke in their language, but that everyone else heard them in their language. In other words, it was translated mid-air from the, the apostles' lip to the hearer's ear. And something strange didn't come out of the apostles' mouth. I've heard testimony of things like this happening. There was a missionary a few years ago in Africa. He's talking to a tribe of people that speak Swahili. He don't speak Swahili. He's got a person standing next to him that's translating, and he starts sharing the gospel with the people in this, and he's two or three sentences. Have you ever worked with a translator? They ask you to do one sentence at a time, pause, allow them to speak the sentence, and then you can say your next sentence. He just keeps talking. And he turns around and looks at the translator, and the translator goes, you said it perfectly. And he goes, what? He said, I was not speaking Swahili. I was speaking English. I could hear my English words in my ear. But the translator just said that I told the people in this tribe that I spoke it in Swahili perfectly. I believe those things happen. I believe wholeheartedly that when God used tongues in the miracle, in the miracle of tongues, that he had a purpose behind it. And it was more than just, hey, look at me. Because that's what tongues are about today. When you have people who walk up to you and say, if you don't speak in tongues, you're going to hell. That's a jacked up belief. There is no, there is no reinforcement for that whatsoever in any part of the Bible. I've read it many, many times. It's not there. This relationship that Jesus has brought us into, he's brought us into for a, for a very specific purpose. He doesn't create scenarios that cause confusion. That's counterproductive to his purpose. He will not say things that are confusing. This is why if we're individuals who are double-tongued, double-minded, that means that we're individuals that have our phases where one day we can actually know that God can do all things. And then the next day, we'll all be depressed, potentially for a week, because we're going to be short on a bill from our finances. Do those two things shake? 
do you believe in God or not? I mean, is it, hey, I'll believe in God with this one because it's super beneficial. Now that next one comes along, I don't know if he wants to be involved with that one. I just might leave the Christianity side out of that. Let me tell you something, folks. Jesus is in the good times. That's where we tend to see him the most, but he's also in the bad times. And we as human beings, we like to think that we have to be people who run away when we find ourselves in the midst of a complicated problem. When the truth is we know, based on the experience of our own lives, that the only way we have ever elevated ourselves above the struggles and challenges is not running away from Jesus, but running to him. Well, one thing I figured out after 21 years of pastoral ministry it's not right for me to expect people to just know that. You sit down and pick my brain for a little bit, and I can promise you that you're going to see a piece of Highland Baptist Church life that you've never seen before. You're going to see a perspective you've never seen before. So is it smarter for me to just run around and keep you guys guessing? Or with purpose? Should we, in unity of the Spirit, be organized so that everything that each one of us have to bring to the table makes a beautiful concoction? Because it absolutely leads to lost people being saved. It leads to people who are saved that were hurt in their church or people who are hurt by something outside of that has kept them from committing 110%. We have opportunities and those opportunities are only given to us because Jesus is who he is. He said what he said. He did what he did. He's made it all possible. If, if you don't believe me, go back and just read on your own time Ephesians chapter 3. And I want you to pay attention in Ephesians chapter 3 how many times the word his, him, he is in, the, is in, that, is in the, that chapter. Because you read the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, it's really trying to just make one point. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Period. When we look at what, when we look at what he says here, we'll look at what the Apostle Paul says here. Take a look at chapter one. <clears throat> I'll read through uh, about the first three verses. And we'll stop, take a little look, and then I'm going to read, take a little bit of a bigger bite. So chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians, starting with verse 1. He says, I therefore, now before we get any further, we've got to jump back to, chapter, to the next chapter, verse 20, because he's got therefore there. So chapter 20 is the beginning of a paragraph, and it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So his attached I therefore statement was attached to those two verses. He glorifies Jesus for who Jesus Christ is. He glorifies Jesus for what Jesus Christ has done. And then out of the shoot in chapter 4, he says, I therefore. The therefore means because of what Jesus has done in chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. This is the result of that. Okay, so chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, allow, uh, uh, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
So in verse 1, when he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. How many of you guys have ever really sat back and tried to consume what it looks like to be a person worthy of the calling with which you've been called? So wait a second. I'm a pastor. A lot of responsibilities. All right. Come along as being a pastor. Walk in a manner worthy. Let me ask you something. How many of you think that you're worthy of any ounce of anything Jesus gave you? So why is he telling us now that we need to find worth? Why would he tell us that we need to find worth in the calling by which we've been called? And it's really no different than it is with anything else. How many times has Jesus in the scripture said, and I'm paraphrasing, are you sure this is what you want? Because if this is what you want, this is what comes with it. That's the attitude that Jesus uses. But when he says here, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Am I worthy to be a pastor? No. But can I take away from the validity of the calling in my life to be one? No. I don't take away from the validity of that. It's the same as me walking up to you and saying, were you uh, worthy of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection? But you were. Right? It would be awful proud, right, and pompous for us as individuals to just take credit for something. The point is, Jesus gets the credit. And he should get the credit. And when he says, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which, which you have been called, and this all attaches to the things we get a little bit lower down. It talks about, uh, it talks about Jesus actually, him when he, when he was crucified, that he basically eliminated sin, gave gifts to men. He went into the lower parts of the earth, which was not hell. Don't ever let anybody tell you that. There's a big difference. Jesus net heart. I'm going to say it again, just for the sake of everybody knowing. Jesus never went to hell. Don't let nobody tell you that he did. I've heard it three times this last week. I'm like, no, no. He went to Hades, different place. Entirely different place. But this Jesus who earned his right I say that and I mean it this Jesus who earned his right for each and every human being who trusts in him to be able to say this is what I expect of you because when he says walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called he didn't say walk in a manner worthy of your abilities he didn't say walk in a manner of, of uh, he didn't say I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your spirituality. Walk in a manner worthy of your dad. Walk, he could have picked anything. Because you see this wasn't really talking about me. It says I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. In other words, Jesus isn't asking me to be something uh, something that I'm not. He's wanting me to see how huge it is that the creator of the universe looked at me and said, I am picking you to be a pastor. Now, as an individual, you look at it and you say, wow, he's picking me to be a pastor. But let's keep reading. 
Verse four, there's one body, one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all of the heavens that he might fill all things. This is what this is saying, folks. Jesus earned this. He earned it. He sat, he came to this earth, lived 33 and a half years, absolutely sinless. Do you think it was easy? Even for God, knowing 100% God and 100% man, Jesus felt the infliction. He felt the affliction. But he lived this life. Just the fact that he gave up heaven is, is amazing to me. Verse 11 says, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Now, here we go. Pay close attention to this. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. I want you to mark that. He didn't say unity of the spirit right there, did he? Unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. What's the unity of the faith? The unity of the faith is the result of the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the faith requires an individual grow up. You ever have anybody tell you to grow up? If you listen real closely, you'll hear Jesus say it your whole life. He'll say it your whole life. Would you grow up? He does. I mean, he says it just like that, too. I get to hear the disappointment in his voice. Wouldn't you just grow up? But again, how does a person grow up? Because all of this whole passage of Scripture I just read to you was giving you a story in a nutshell. The only one who qualified to give a gift at all was the one who sacrificed himself. Through that sacrifice, he didn't have help with a whole bunch of gods around the, around the universe. It was just one. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one. That should require unity in order for anybody to function. Because if we have two different gods we serve, it makes sense we wouldn't get along, right? But if we serve the same God with the same purpose, the same plan, then we should all be able to catch a clue that he's really trying to tell us or, or involve us all in the same thing that he's trying to, get to accomplish. But it does require people to grow up. 
And I'm not talking about the kind of criticism, like, would you just grow up? Like Jesus even criticizes me with. Growing up into Christ is, is the key. In other words, we're not people who are growing up externally from Christ. We're people who are growing up in Christ. We place our trust in Jesus Christ. What should be the number one thing, number one priority, the number one total consumption of anything in our lives once we come, become Christians, what should that one thing be? It's Jesus, just that simply. And it was just like I tell people all the time, we, we complicate this way too much. You just dedicate your, yourself to Jesus, and Jesus can make sure everything's taken care of. Why? Because I'm not the one that gives people gifts. I have to trust that I have to trust that the Lord's given people in this in this church enough gifts for this church to be able to function like a well-oiled machine. And I don't believe that my God's the type of guy who says, "Here, I'm just going to pull this. Uh, I'm going to pull the spark plug wire off of here and see if you can figure out what's going on." That's not the God we serve. It's not a matter of God. I've been working in the nursery forever. No, I don't want anybody, just anybody. I don't want somebody who's not gifted working with babies over there in the, in the nursery. And this is why individuals come in, oh, you preacher, you shouldn't be in the nursery. Let me do this. No. You tell me you got to call to deal with babies, I'll leave. But if you're just really trying to take a load off me, I'll let you help. But I'm not about to put you in a spot that could potentially stick you in that you have no gift in. That's not good for the ministry. That's not good for the people that are in it. it. It never works out well to put people who do not have a gift in an area where a gift is required. It doesn't work out well. Growing up in Christ, it's not a matter of you just saying, I need to grow up. Growing up in Christ is the employment of every gift that Jesus Christ has given. When those gifts are functioning the way that God wants them to, then people can't help but be affected by it because it's literally all that's going on around them. Why do you think we have teenagers these days that don't share Jesus with people? It's a pretty simple answer. They don't have parents who share Jesus with people. It's just the way it is. If you think habits are taught and not caught, I got a little upside down story to tell you. Because habits are caught. You tell a kid anything that you want to tell them. If they don't see you practicing what you preach, your credibilities are out the window. And if you ever want a teenager to have a good, a solid argument, then you tell a teenager that they're not allowed to do something that you do on a regular basis. They're not going to keep their mouth shut about it. They're going to point out the hypocrisy in the, in the issue. If we are all just doing what Jesus asked us to do, this works. This relationship that I have with you, it started in one singular place. And that was the coming together of me and Jesus. That's where it started. My relationship with Jesus ultimately has nothing to do with you. Right? Right? I mean, I could separate myself from every spiritual influence on this planet. I have Jesus, I'm all right, right? It's the truth. But nobody else is. Why is it that you want to teach your kids 
all of the things that you learned as an adult while they're still teenagers. Why do we want to do that? We're hoping, we're hoping that if we can get them to listen, that we're going to get them to avoid a lot of mistakes. And I told my kids, I, if, there was, if there's one regret that I have in Christianity, is that I started it way too late. And I started it at 16. I started attending a church when I was seven, accepted Christ when I was 16. I wish that I would have had a longer start. Well, my kids started attending church at one week. They have a better shot now, right? But if I don't take them to church, and if I don't entrust them to people that God's gifted to teach, and I don't entrust them to people that God's gifted to love, then am I going to see? Am I going to see the benefits that God wants to see? No. They need your gift. Every person who comes in here needs it. Carrie, yours too. Robin, doesn't matter where you're at. You got a gift. Jesus needs it. Marvin, Joyce, Joyce, I can name everybody in here. Don't think that you have nothing to offer. When Jesus reached his hand out to you, he not only knew the value you had, but he increased your value. And don't think that you can remove yourself from an equation under any circumstances and it not have a negative impact. We have to know who it is that we believe in, know what it is that he's trying to accomplish, and know what our purpose is in the midst of it. If we can't figure that out, then we'll all just run around and do different things. We may accomplish some stuff, but they're not going to be God-sized things. It takes us, and there's a reason he asked for that. There's a reason he asked for a place for believers to migrate to on one or two times a week. He had his reasons for it. We're here to love, educate, strengthen, support every person that walks in that door. Period. The question is, just how much does that happen? If we just carry out our responsibilities and not really see the big picture. Goes right back to Doug's favorite word. Intentionality. It's intentional. We don't always have to know what the result is. We just always have to know that God's got the result. All you need to know is that Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that he saved you. When he saved you, he gave you a gift. And he expects nothing more of you than for you to employ that gift to continue to reach out to other people just like other people did to you. Productivity happens so much more for intentional. If you're here today, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. Um, I can't save you, but if you will come up here and tell me you want to be saved, I'll spend whatever time necessary to make sure that you know the one that can. If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I hope that you'll leave this place encouraged, but at the very least, and at the very most, I ask nothing more than during this invitation time, you spend this time with the Lord, the Lord speaks to your heart, you be obedient to him, and there is no greater response to, a, to an invitation than that. Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash BC. Have a blessed week, and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link, with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided.
provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.